0: Creative, creative connections. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Deere. Welcome to Creative Connections. Thanks for joining us uh, today. My guest is actor, producer, uh, performing arts extraordinaire, uh, Grant Dodwell. Grant, welcome. Thank you very much, Adam. As I said, you know, you've know uh, you been acting for a very long time, uh, you started out you know, doing bits and pieces of TV, you had a big role in uh, a country practice. Was acting always something you were passionate about or did you kind of stumble into it?
1: No, as a matter of fact, I was one of the only, uh, they don't do it nowadays, students to go from year 12 straight into NIDA. Um, and. I actually auditioned for NIDA in year 11. <clears throat> um, and I don't know why, but they said, we'll come back next year. So I did. And um, now, in those days, it was a two year course. And um, in the second year of that two year course, um, it became a three year course. But that didn't mean anything to me because I was kicked out up to the end of first year. Um, along with quite a few other actors. In those days they'd take in NIDA would take in like forty students, you know, forty five. So twenty you knew twenty had to go in year two. And look, I I, I was nineteen you know so i was i had other things on my mind and uh you know in glorious hindsight they were probably right in making that decision but i immediately joined the queensland theatre company for 2 years as a as a rep player and toured queensland with your good man charlie brown 10 week tour you know like i was 20 <clears throat> um i did ruling class um William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, the National Health, in RIP.
0: So right. in those days yep. it would
1: be a company.
0: Yep. Who were you in? A, oh, you're grand was, Charlie Brown.
1: Was...
0: Sorry? You're I was quite... Schroeder and Charlie Brown. Okay, cool. Um, you but... don't see that musical too much these days. No. But it's, no. it's a fun one.
1: Yeah. But I, I did 10 years before I did that major role in television. And, and before that I did roles in Homicide and, Division 4 and Skyways, and, you know, there are all sorts of, um, uh, you know, guest roles here and there over that period of time, ABC TV. I did Certain Women. So I'd had a taste of television, but it wasn't until I went to America. I had friends over there who were working in Los Angeles, and I ended up working as a crew member on Filming Prince in the Desilu Studios. Earth, Wind and Fire, Billy Thorpe, and I lived in New York for a while and I came back to Australia and went, you know what, after all these dreams about how great it's going to be in America and overseas, we're doing exactly the same work here and we're as equal, if not better in some cases. So I came back with a renewed vigour and that's when I started
0: getting a lot of work. Oh, fantastic. So it was... Your, getting theatre work, was that just more what you were getting and that's what it was available?
1: Well, yes, it was. And, I, you know, theatre was, television was generally Melbourne-based, you know, Crawfords. um, You know, there were occasional miniseries, Seven Little Australians, but really in those sort of early 70s, um, it was Melbourne-based, Melbourne-centric. Number 96 came on to the, but there wasn't, there wasn't a wealth of television around, but I still managed because there are only, you know, there were probably about 10 or 15 of us in the whole of Sydney who were 21 who were trained. And after my stint in 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 theatre doing that two years, I did Godspell. I joined the Melbourne Theatre Company, Theatre and Education Programme. So, look, I did theatre and television, and it wasn't until a country practice that that gave me a solid three and a half years of television. The show went for 11, but I only did the first three and a half years.
0: And did you feel like you were on to some a good thing or was it just let's just see what happens? <laughs> it was funny, you know,
1: like country practice, I auditioned with the the late and sadly missed Penny Cook who who died um, recently, well, a year, over a year ago, just over a year ago. And we auditioned together and the producers say there was no two ways that we weren't going to be cast together because just a little story, the audition required me to go into her veterinary surgery where she was tending a a shaggy sheepdog, English sheepdog, and I had to follow her and chase her around asking her out to dinner. So I'd go under the dog, round the dog's bum, you know, under its tail, all these sort of things, and every time I got close to Penny, she would move in to me like this, whereas every other actress I auditioned, when I came in, they moved back. Right. <laughs> so it was like she'd say, don't you push me around. What? you know? So the strength was there within her character as a young female vet. Um, look, country practice wasn't to be a big success, uh, the then managing director had a big fight on his hands to get it made. We did the pilot and he showed it to all the executives, and they all went, "Nah, that'll never work." <clears throat> and we came back, and we were we did three months, and we were put on over the Christmas period. So no big launch, new season show, nothing like that. And it built this incredible following during Christmas, and became huge. Like uh, none of us had any idea, but you know, Adam, we were all theater actors doing that show, mm. and we were all really nice people, <laughs> so it, it worked, you know. And I think you
0: could sense that on the screen, you know. Yeah, you could tell that you're, yeah, you got along with each other, and there was that mutual respect. It wasn't a competition in that sense, no, that's that's for sure. And so, when that Wrapping up, was that a a decision you made? Was the way Mm. like, hey, it's time to move on? Did you want to do something else?
1: Yeah, well, I went on and then sort of had a storyline I would call Willing and Able," a series that we did for Channel 9. Sadly, we only did 26, but there was a lot of politics going on within Channel 9 at that stage, and Alan Bond sold the network back to Frank Packer as a tiny percentage of the price that Alan Bond had paid for it originally. So um, Willie and Abel with Shane and, Shane and I left. Um, Penny left around about the same time. Look, it was one of those things, I was a young actor and I came into the series single and three and a half years later I was married with kids and I thought, <laughs> well, I, and I wasn't, you know, I, I felt I, I needed to adventure move into somewhere else. I mean, people say, oh, you're mad, you know, because I probably would have been financially a lot better off. But we had a dream of willing and able with Channel 9. We did 26 film episodes. Um, Lynn Bionis, Ted Roberts, the late and great Lynn and Ted, and Shane and myself were the producers. So I was moving into that production area but unfortunately it wasn't to be. So I actually went back to theatre and I did big musicals. I did Anything Goes uh, with Geraldine Turner and Simon Burke and then I did um, uh, Sunset Boulevard in Melbourne with Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. and a duet with Hugh Jackman. So <clears throat> I dipped in and out of theatre. I did tours of hoary old farces, you know, comedies, and I did Noises Off and... You know, theatre was there and occasionally I'd do guest roles on things. But interestingly, there was one television series that the director called me and the producer called me and said, Grant, thank you, we've got our new lead actor. And it was a series that we're shooting in Brisbane and Channel 10 were part of it. And they uh, said no. So in other words, when you're very well known for a particular role, it can work against you. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't. But in this case, I had two offers from the producers and directors of shows, but the network turned me down because they said, no, they're going to remember him as Dr. Simon Bowen, the vet from a country practice, the one with the wombat.
0: Right. Do do you So have you found that theatre just gives you that freedom to mm. reinvent itself much more than TV? I love it. The last
1: major role was for Neil Armfield at Belvoir Street. And I believe you've had a chat with Tommy
0: Murphy. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. He's a great yeah. guy. Yeah. I chat with him yeah. Uh, yeah, last year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Tommy wrote Gwen in Purgatory, which I was in
0: mm-hmm.
1: at Belvoir Street. Yeah. Look, theater is, I guess, every actor says that their first love. It is. It, it's, it's the craft. It's the, although a lot of actors don't like calling it that, but. <laughs> It's one of the oldest professions in the world, Uh, acting and prostitution. They've been around for years and years and years. (laughs) Not that they're... (laughs) Not that they go hand in hand, but... (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Yeah, look, theatre will always remain this, the process, coming into the the theatre, seating, the curtain going up or the set, the reveal. And you know Adam it's really interesting every time I go to the theater and that moment before the play starts I always get quite overwhelmed I I tear up um now maybe the production isn't as good and I might tear up at the end going why did I waste money <laughs> but no <laughs> but in the beginning I do I have that you know I, I just I get overwhelmed by the by the I guess the history behind theater you know right from the the Wakefield cycle plays where they sort of reenacted um, sort of hideous events from the Bible, which would attract thousands of people that couldn't really see, but, you know, they knew it was happening and uh,
0: right through to modern modern theatre. Yeah, there's such a beautiful, rich history there. And mm. so talking about your last major role there, was that a, a Conscious decision again to to because you've moved much more into producing and you've co-founded some some companies. Was that was that something you were consciously doing?
1: Uh, yeah, there were two things. the The corporate acting arena was something that happened when I had a mortgage and two kids, and you know I needed other work. and My agent said, "Look, there's this woman who uses actors to illustrate points in a speech." she gives on change within the workplace. And I went, well, why would I want to do that? You know? <laughs> and then she, I was such a snob, and then she said, well, there's two actors, Genevieve Moy and David Franklin, and I knew them to be really good actors, and I went, oh, oh okay then. All right, well, then I'll do it. Well, I stayed with Margot Kens and The Change Dynamic I, I had an opportunity to improvise on the shores of Sardinia. I um oh, there's a jet going over. I um, can you hear that?
0: Uh just a little bit. It's it's okay, I think. Uh, crash. I, I, um, I audition
1: auditioned actors in San Francisco for a a workshop for Levi Strauss. I went to Canada to Calgary, auditioned and cast actors. So I would come in and build the actors' component of this corporate um, workplace on change. And it was very sophisticated and a little before its time. Mm. And so I then moved on and sort of formed my own company, not using, of course, Margot's um, technology, her IP, but realised that there are various ways we could use actors in the workplace. And to this day, we still do that. An example, there's a Navy leadership program, strategic leadership program. Actors are involved over three days, six actors who play journalists, they play high-end public servants, opposite real captains and ship's commanders who I might say are some of the brightest, most interesting people I've met, and they then join in this process knowing that we're actors, but nevertheless, I hire really good actors in the to use their improvisational skills and they get background notes. We might do two weeks to build this program where actors come in mm. and that app operates over three days. And then we went into film. Um, Peter Hiscock, a friend of mine, came in and only recently we had 13 actors on set. We had a two-day shoot. We used blue screen. And, again, I, I have an opportunity to work with some of the best actors in the country, and it's for internal use only, but we shoot as it would be a television series. Uh, I use television cameramen, feature film cameramen. Um, the beauty of being in the business for such a long time, you you get to know a lot of people, which means yeah. you can use one So from that last stage appearance, my corporate acting area had been going on for some time, and then we decided to move into Australian Theatre Live,
0: so, which was
1: live theatre, yeah.
0: Sorry, so the uh, work is that's Real Play Media? hmm So that's that But mm-hmm. Have you ever – just a quick question on that, because I've heard that they had some friends that did that for the police – you know, mm-hmm. they get them in for their training. Is that yeah, yeah. involved in that kind of thing?
1: <clears throat> yeah, that that's a very that's one part of it. Yeah, um, we're doing something for the ethics centre around training people on for phone calls where people ring up with a particular dilemma. Um, role play used to be all right. You pretend to be the manager, and I'll be the you know, and these are people within the workplace who are non actors. Well. No, we know that when an actual person sits opposite an actor playing a role, bang, they're in there. Mm. There's no sort of, oh, no, that's, that's not good. Real. Yeah. Most people finish it going, wow, that was just like a, a situation. So we have one called Difficult Conversations. So it's a combination of that. But, yes, you're very spot on. That's exactly what it, what it is, actors moving in. And it's great to see because it pays well. Yeah, yeah. and good. You, you can, Yeah, and you're tuning your craft. You're tuning your acting. I, I would get roles after I'd done a three-day workshop because I'm improvising. I'm working. I'm continually thinking creatively, and then I get a script and I do the same. So corporate acting I can recommend to any actor um, who wants to keep fine-tuned, to continue to act it pays well and you're continuing to fine-tune
0: and i suppose that feeds in from your theater background because with film rehearsals it's not well if there are any it's it, it doesn't have that same level of exploration and discovery and improvisation
1: that's true although some directors allow for that um given time and budget Mm. Uh, You might, I know some directors, and I do a lot of directing now with these corporates, and I might say, look, uh, that little scene there, we may or may not use it, but can you improvise in your characters and, you know, talk about how rumours spread really quickly? Oh, does it matter about, just make up names, whatever you like. So that may happen after we've done the actual script. Right. So there may be an opportunity to inter to mould both of them, um, but that's time, you know. Generally, and generally, a well-written script is something that you want to get. You know, scripting is the core of any actor. Is that's the unsung writers. I mean, me doing Tommy Murphy's play was just a joy because Tommy continually worked on the dialogue. And then when it hit that that sweet spot, bang, that was it. And it's so easy as an actor to remember lines that are well written. Oh yes,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, probably know that. I mean it's it's just just that way. So um yeah, directing improvisation, you can utilize it. And you know, they they talk about that a lot of the the comedic actors that do roles. Uh, Robin Williams was really known for after they got the script in the can, it's all right, can I try something? Yeah, yeah, let's let's kick it round. And some of those scenes would stay in, but a lot of
0: the time they'd probably end up on the floor, cutting room floor. Well, I guess at the very least the actor feels like I got to explore that, Mm. whether it gets used or not. Probably gives Mm. them some peace of mind maybe. Yeah.
1: But, you know, generally when you're in a series you arrive – You've screen tested for the role, and yep. that's what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what you did then. What are do you doing? No yeah, do what that. we
0: paid you to do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so you mentioned before uh, Australian Theatre Live. Mm-hmm. So that's something you started up more recently. Yeah, that was about seven years ago. Um, we looked,
1: and um, I used to regularly and still do go to National Theatre Live, yep. which is the National Theatre at Cinema. It's fantastic. Um, Yeah, just great. And they're all English plays and well-known plays, and I thought that's good. And my daughter is an actress in London, so I'd been to London and I'd seen her at the National. I'd seen it being recorded, and I went, right, okay. Um, Why don't we look into doing something similar here but Australian plays? Now, it's taken us six or seven years, uh, and we read a, quite a few reports on why it wasn't done here. And it was the same as with National Theatre. It took them four years to get all the agreements in place. For the plays? Yeah. Because when you think about it, you've got your writer, your actors, your director, your theatre company, your creatives, your wardrobe, your design, your makeup, your sound design. So you're filming their work, so you know you you've, they've got to be compensated. So we've only recently done a, another deal with the MEWA with actors equity. We've always worked co- closely with equity. Um, the writers have a writers' Guild but um, which we work with or the um, writer has an agent. So we had to get all those contracts made and built and Um, but to date we've had nine productions and we're shooting another three for Queensland Theatre because they've gone into digital theatre and and Melbourne Theatre Company are moving into that area as well. Um, Sydney Theatre Company, we've done two of their productions. We've done The Wharf Review and Michael Gow's Away Um, and that's those five plays, Wharf, Away, Dacto Chaser, Mary Rachel Brown's beautiful play um, from the Griffin, Emerald City, and, uh, yes, we're all on ABC iview, so we're about to do another contract with ABC. Um, <clears throat> and we're on odds Flicks, and all this, Adam, takes time mm. and tenacity.
0: And and, and yeah, was, I can I can imagine that you're kind of continually hitting roadblocks and having to yeah. keep pushing through.
1: Although, interestingly, while COVID was devastating for our industry, uh, for us it, it was it, it really pushed us. It gave us a bit of a kick start. People, you know, we were banging the drum for years saying, "Look, this is the way it's going to go," and it's not replacing theatre. Mm. You know, we're not. We're not, and people were worried because they'd say, oh, well, you're adding another, the pie, the pie's only so big and now people are going to go, oh, well, I won't bother to go to the theatre. The opposite happens. People watch a film theatre, whether it was ours or National Theatre or Hamilton. Hamilton's a classic example. They weren't going to release Hamilton until all the major productions had opened worldwide, Sydney and Canada and all that. And then COVID hit and they went, well, we've had to delay all the productions. What about we put it on? Oh, well, I guess if we lose ticket sales, we lose ticket sales. The opposite happened. People watched Hamilton on Disney Plus and went, I've got to go and see that, (laughs) you know. And and in some areas, it increases ticket sales to 25%. Right. People said, oh, yeah, I watched it on my TV, but I wanted to see it live. Um, so, and the other major thing which we pushed all along, and recently the federal government agreed with us and have given us a, a grant to continue, was that people out in Broken Hill and Coonabarabran and areas that, Rarely get to the city. And if they do, can they afford the $90 to 180 bucks for a ticket? Whereas they can watch it for, you know, 10, 15 bucks and they get front row seats. And we've had great response from that. And that's one of our main aims. <clears throat> we've got a pop up cinema, little pop up theater that we take to little towns of 200 in the community halls. So but now it's a big push. The major companies are going, right? Um <clears throat> let's look into that
0: list seriously. So do you feel like coming into this year that most major companies have are they getting in touch with you? Or are you still contacting yeah, yeah, them? Or- yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's early, early stages, but Melbourne Theatre Company have contacted us and Um, Sydney Theatre Company, uh, Queensland is locked in. We've signed the contracts, Taming of the Shrew, Beneath the Dirt and Robin Archer's Australian Songbook, all three that will go on their digital website so all of Queensland can see it. Um, And then we'll get a deal with the back end so we'll be able to then put it onto ABC iView. Um, and to all these various... Look, we're we're working now with an organisation that may be doing a big deal globally, which means we'll have 280 million viewers globally and 1.4 million in Australia. And we want to get Australian plays out into the world because they're good, the acting is excellent, the playwrights are wonderful, and we need to be part of a world artistic vision around theater and we believe australian theater live will do that
0: and so what's the exact process when you do get everything ready to shoot do you set it up so there isn't an audience and it's just you and the actors and you can just go wherever you want on stage or are you filming a normal production night
1: yeah we come in and film a normal production um there the audience are aware that the cameras are there um, one recently that hasn't been released, we did at the Fitzroy, uh, okay. the old theatre, uh, Redline production of This Much Is True, Louis Nara. We had nine cameras in there in that tiny little sixty seat theatre, but Malthouse again we had nine cameras. Generally we have six cameras and five operators, and these operators are all drama cameramen or cinema cameramen. Um, then we have fixed cameras. We also have probably four to six mics over the audience. So we mic the audience. Mm-hmm. Every actor has a radio mic. In a lot of plays now, they do anyway. But if not, we put radio mics and we have wardrobe hair and makeup there, weaving the mics in. We have the script. Every cameraman has a headset on. And our director, Peter Hiscock, can talk to them. Me, assistant director, sits there with script. A few of the key personnel have seen the play a few times, as with us. Other cameramen haven't, Mm -hmm. but they have the headset. So I'll say, okay, we've got an entrance in three lines. So Peter will say, okay, um, Andy, can you... uh, Focus up on the door. I've got an actress coming in. Please follow them in to center. So we have a specific way of shooting. We use filmic techniques, wide, you know, close up, medium shot, crossover shots. Um, with Taming of the Shrew at QT, we, in our contract, we can come in the next day and do pickups without an audience. We have to do that because there's a big dinner party scene and there's a lot of actors. And we, we are storytellers. We tell the story through using uh, sort of cinema, photographic cinema techniques, but we don't interfere with the theatrical energy that exists. In fact, we, in, we enhance it. Mm. So you have a front row seat. We haven't had any complaints yet. But, so then once we've filmed it, one performance only or maybe a few pickups. We did The Gospel According to Paul Keating, Jonathan Biggin's one-man show, and we had to go in the next night because one of our cameras had lots of battery power, so we went in. So we had that opportunity. Then we edit, as you would a film, and then it gets sound mixed. ABC have come and partnered with us, and the, 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 three, the three that are coming up, uh, they do sound mix and color grade and then a final mix so we we'll also do cinema so it's like NT live um, we haven't had marketing budget to do that well but we do now we've we've actually put in a lot of our own time and money and we haven't been paid it's a not-for-profit so we really haven't been paid for six years <laughs> people think we're mad but our corporate <laughs> corporate area keeps it going right yeah i think in this industry in this creative industry you know that that that's the situation until you find someone that i mean we're really lucky that the federal arts department uh, the federal arts department have seen our vision and have really taken it on board in the latest rise grants and have given us a fantastic opportunity to continue what we've set up because without them, without the federal government, we weren't eligible for Screen Australia funding and we weren't eligible for Australia. Well, we were just eligible for Australia Council, but we're in a theatre bucket and Mm. we're not theatre, we're not film, we're theatre, we're this hybrid version. And... um, You know, the Australia Council really trying to help us, but the assessors obviously. And if I was an assessor and I had an application with a pre filmed play or four people in Perth that have four new Australian plays that they want to have money to put on, I'd probably put the four new. Australian players, I'd do the same. So the federal government realized that it was difficult for us to raise funding through any other existing funding body, which really, I mean, that's a thing. With the Australia Council, I mean, fifteen percent of applications get funded. Mm.
0: 15%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was I was really interested in your thoughts because on just on arts funding in general, because twenty twenty mm. certainly <laughs> ruffled a few feathers in that area, a lot of disappointed people. How have how mm-hmm. you viewed the way that that was handled from the government and, and what you think is going to happen moving forward? Was it a wake-up call?
1: There was a delay on their decision-making around what and how they should look after performers I believe there could have been more of a concerted effort to look into the professional actors that had been professional actors earning a living from acting for a period of time. I mean, the taxation situation allows you to aggregate your, you know, you might have a good year and then a pretty poor year and then another good year. They'll allow you to even out that funding on a tax payable level. So I, I really, you know, I think there's two two things here. I'm disappointed that they didn't investigate it further for actors that had really solidly given their lives long-term to the profession, whether the directors, artists, creatives. I think there could have been an opportunity there to actually move forward, knowing how many people and the resources the federal government had in regards to the arts i i can see how it could quite easily fall behind there's you know it it's not like they have an infrastructure group like they do for transport or you know <laughs> flying people in and out or managing a pandemic now that's no it's no excuse but we've got to look on both sides before we can really and That from my little bit of investigation, I believe that they were, it was disappointing that they didn't really. This is as far as COVID. The MEAA Actors Equity were inundated with theatre companies. They, again, they were under resourced to manage a contract to come out because theatre companies wanted to use archival footage. Um, not not the major companies, but I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, can we've got a really good archival of that? Why don't we charge people to see that?" They were scrambling to get revenue in, and MEAA eventually came out with a with a contract. So they worked really hard in doing that. So what has happened has happened. Um, I think the support of our industry, I've used that word over and over again, was very disappointing. As for the future, I believe that it's raised an awareness within the government of how important uh, the arts are financially. I mean, they know that when they're shooting a Baz Luhrmann film, American film in Queensland, or they're shooting um, one of the marvels in Sydney, it generates a lot of money and... Unfortunately, there's a bit of a dichotomy there because they're American actors, and where do the Australian actors fit in? Well, sometimes they get better roles than others and not. But that's another that's another sort of draw of, of discussion that you could have. But I'm hoping on the umbrella overview that the federal government have an awareness now of the importance of the arts within our community. It's really interesting that. I don't know, but in primary school, students play recorders and they do plays and they do poetry readings and they do art and it's all exhibited and the parents come along to these, you know, sort of nights and they sit there for four hours waiting till little Johnny comes on and plays his recorder. And then there's a little bit more in high school and then if you want to specialise, the universities and colleges have areas. But that's it. It sort of stops. And then it moves into, you know, community orchestras and choirs and all of that. But if you add all that up, the arts plays an incredible role within our society. And most recently it's discovered that by singing and playing music in retirement villages where people are suffering from that hideous dementia, that this, the music has a calming effect So, and if if it helps them remember too, yeah, exactly. So, and you know, it's it it binds us. It's the glue that keeps us together. I believe uh, the arts, and even if people have never been to the theater in their lives, there's someone out there who's got a favorite album. You know, they've got a favorite illustrator, a favorite comic. You know, we forget how many different areas just slot into creativity. So oh, in ending the lesson, <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that um, the government uh, it certainly have more of an awareness of the role of the arts. And, and what happens with that? Well, I think it's up to us as a group to continually uh, make that, to continually bang on that door and make them aware of how great
0: Australia is in that area. Well, Grant Dodwell, I think that's a perfect uh, place to end our chat. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Look, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope I haven't sort of inundated. I have a tendency to ramble on. but
0: uh, No, it's perfect for this platform. You gave me lots of wonderful information. I really appreciate it. Great. All right, Van, we'll look all the very
1: best, and I hope uh, we bump into each other in a theatre foyer.
0: Yes, that would be brilliant.